Good evening, everybody. This is a great crowd. Thank you so much for coming. My girlfriend and I have been on the road most of the day. So we, uh, I'm a little bit more casual than normal. Hope that doesn't offend you. My dad is not here. My dad would be very angry at me right now. And uh, years ago, they had something they called leisure suits. I don't know if any of you, some of you remember leisure suits. A lot of polyester, a lot of different colored thread. I'll never forget my dad standing it as long as he possibly could. And he finally said, leisure suits create leisure saints. And uh, (laughs) so daddy was not a fan of uh, leisure suits. But... uh, I'm going to begin tonight. I'm going to read two verses to you. And uh, as is our custom, we're going to stand in honor of the word of the Lord. This is Romans chapter 10 and verse 15. How shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Second verse I want to read to you is in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 15. This is that place in the Bible talks about the armor, take the whole armor of God. 6 and 15 says, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So we have six weeks in this semester between this and our next series of life groups. My girlfriend and I are going to share some of these responsibilities. We've talked about this in depth. Tonight, we're going to teach something called the forgotten gospel. The forgotten gospel. God bless you. You may be seated. Now, always when we're in a thing situation like this, <clears throat> there will be some of you that are going to be familiar with the first 10 minutes of this. There are others that aren't. And so I think it's critical to get everybody on the same page. I I am convinced that there are at least four Gospels in the Bible. Just like you got, and I'm not talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There is, in the book of Revelation, there is a verse that John said, I saw an angel flying, and he had in his hand the everlasting gospel. I'm convinced that is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 through 4. I've asked this question of people for years. What's the gospel? What is the gospel? And most of the time when I am talking to someone who... Really never ever thought about it or, or they, they really never studied the Bible. The most common response to that is the good news. The gospel is the good news. And, and then I try to get, but, but is there a place in the Bible that tells us what the gospel is? The reason this isn't critical is because there's a verse in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 and it says this. 
I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. So there's a saving gospel, a saving gospel. And I'm convinced that 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and those first four verses in 15 describe that. It goes something like this. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached past tense unto you. Preach past tense. If you're just beginning your study of the Bible, the Bible talks about rightly dividing the word of truth. You can rightly divide it and you can wrongly divide it. But here's the way to rightly divide the New Testament. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are, you know, it's the gospel according to Matthew, the gospel according to Mark. So you have those first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then that's the first, I guess, what I would call category of the New Testament. And then you have the next category, which is called Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. There are 28 chapters in the book of Acts. And you can divide those 28 chapters into two big groups. Acts 1 through 12 is the ministry of Peter. He's the principal spokesman in the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts. But beginning in Acts chapter 13 through the end, the principal spokesman is Paul. Paul is the guy that starts out Saul of Tarsus. Saul is his Jewish name. Paul is his Roman name. He has dual citizenship. So if you look in the back of your Bible, there'll be maps in the back of that Bible. And one of those maps will say Paul's missionary journeys. And if there are in your study Bible scriptures by those places that he stopped, you'll see that his missionary journeys don't begin until the 13th chapter. And this is very, very critical because in John chapter 7, verse 37, 38, and 39, this is what it says. In the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. For he that believeth on me, as Pastor Hoffman has to say, no, he that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. Watch what it says now. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given. Why? Because Jesus wasn't glorified yet. If you're a student of the Bible, you know that Jesus resurrected, taught for 40 days, and then left. After he leaves, this is what is known as the glorified Christ. This is the guy that John saw in Revelation chapter 1, the glorified Christ. Jesus gave them a little preview of what he was going to look like in Matthew 17. Your Bible will probably call it the transfiguration. But he took Peter, James, and John up to a mountain. He said, watch this. Pow! And he's shining. In the original language, it says, like the sun at high noon on a cloudless day. And it just it wiped them out. So if you have that understanding, John 7 and 39, the
the Holy Ghost was not yet given because Jesus wasn't glorified yet. Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all end with the same story. The death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And he leaves. So if you're going to find out about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you're not going to find out about that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's not there. That makes the next segment, the next division of the news, very critical because the book of Acts is the only book that we have in our possession. It's, it's the diary of the New Testament church. And this is where you find out about people being filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 10, Acts 19. It's very, very, very important. And so when you study Acts, especially 13 through 28, you read about stories of cities like Rome or a place called Corinth or a, a landmass called Galatia, or a city called Ephesus, another city called Philippi, a city called Colossae, another city called Thessalonica. What are those? Everything past the book of Acts is, the, the, the stained glass word is epistle, epistle. Um, years ago, I, I, I heard a guy say, I was so ignorant when I got into church, I thought Psalms was palms. I thought Job was Job, and I thought epistles were the apostles' wives. And um, so uh, the word epistle just means letter. And what happens is Paul would go to a city, start a church, and then leave and go somewhere else. And he tried to get back to these churches. Sometimes he did, sometimes he didn't. But he would write these letters to these churches that were started in the book of Acts. And that's where you get Romans, the first letter to the church in Corinth, the second letter to the church in Corinth, the letter to the church in Galatia, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians. These are, these are letters. You got young protégés of Paul, a guy by the name of Timothy, two letters written to him at the end of Paul's ministry. What I'm trying to show you is what's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? You're going to find out about Bethlehem, where Jesus was born. You'll read about him, John the Baptist. You'll read about the miracles. There's there's difference of opinion, but there are at least 37 miracles in the Bible recorded that Jesus did. There are his lessons. They're called parables, what he taught. And then, of course, there's death, burial, and resurrection. Calvary, resurrection. So... If you want to learn about John the Baptist, you can't go to the book of Acts. You can't go to the letters. You have to go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you want to find out about Bethlehem and the Christmas story and, and, and the parables of Jesus and him doing miracles, and you've got to stay in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But if you want to find about the birth of the church and the infilling of the Holy Spirit and water baptism, you have to go to the book of Acts. That's where that is. And then, so here's Jesus saying... I'm, I'm going to have a church. There's this mystical term in church called the will of God. Uh, when we were young, we called it the wog. The wog. Um, it's, it's like voodoo to a lot of people. Will of God. Sounds very mysterious. It sounds very, very, very um, <clears throat> whatever. Unattainable. The will of God is that he wanted to have a church. That, that, that was his will. Somebody dies, they have a last will and testament. 
So you have a New Testament, Old Testament. What was, what, what, when Jesus died, what was in his testament? What was his will? His will. So he, for Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he said, I'm going to have a church. I'm going to have a church. I'm going to have a church. So at the end, he tells Peter, I'm going to give you the keys. He calls a dirty dozen. One of them's a dirty bird. But, you know, there's, there's that original dozen. When I was a kid, I used to watch an old Western called Gunsmoke. And um, <clears throat> um, it, 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 it was Marshall Dillon. Uh, uh, he had this, this guy uh, whose name was Festus Hagen. Festus was, uh, he didn't shave too much and he wasn't real fond of baths. And, uh, but I still remember when I was a kid watching Gunsmoke and, <clears throat> and Marshall Dillon's gonna leave and he takes off his badge and he gets Festus and he puts the badge on Festus and he said, you're in charge until I come back. And that's basically what Jesus did with his disciples. He said, I'm gonna leave. You're in charge until I get back. And that's why happens in the book of Acts. And so <clears throat> there are people that say, <clears throat> uh, I don't believe in that Holy Spirit stuff. I don't believe in speaking in tongues. I think that's gibberish. I think that's foolishness. I, I think that's just stupid. And they use this verse. I'd rather speak five words with understanding than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Well, here's the problem with that. That's in the book of Corinthians. <laughs> That verse is not written to people who were thinking about getting in church. They're already in church. They've already been filled with the Holy Spirit. They've already spoke with tongues. As a matter of fact, if you keep reading in that same place, Paul said, don't ever forbid anybody to speak with tongues. And I speak with tongues more than everybody. And so what I'm trying to show you, you can't read somebody else's mail. All right. This, this is very important. And so I'm, 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 it's Bible study. So go a little bit slow here. But when you get to Corinthians 15, you got to keep this in mind. These are not people who are one. Hmm. I wonder if I ought to be in the church of Jesus Christ or not. No, they've already been. They're already in there. And that's why it says, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached past tense. I preached it to you. It's why you're standing because you received the word of God. And then in verse two, he said, I didn't preach something to you that I didn't live in my own life first. I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. Watch how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day, according to the scripture. That's the saving gospel, death, burial, and resurrection. Not just simply the fact that it is a historical event. Because you go to some places and they say, do you believe Jesus died for your sins? Do you believe he was buried? Do you believe he resurrected for you? You're saved. <clears throat> well, when you really study the Bible, you've got to do more than just simply agree that those events occurred somewhere in the past. You have to identify with them. That's why the Bible said we're crucified with Christ. It's why in Romans 6 it says we're buried with Christ. In Colossians 2, it says, we are resurrected with Christ. So, what's the gospel? Death, burial, and resurrection. How, how do we relate to that? You relate to the death of Jesus by repenting. You relate to his burial by being baptized 
in water in his name. That's why Romans 6 and 4, Colossians 2 and so So we're buried with Christ by baptism. How do you relate to the resurrection of Jesus? By the infilling of the Holy Spirit. That's why in Romans 8 and 11 it says, if the spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, it's going to do to you what it did to him. He was dead. He was buried. Spirit comes into the dead, buried corpse. He comes back to life. Resurrection. So that's why in the book of Acts, the first time the gospel, the saving gospel was preached. Peter is in Acts chapter 2. He's saying, guess who the guy was on the middle cross? He was your Messiah. He was your Savior. And then it says this. When they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. It's like somebody drove a stake in their heart, man. And he said, what are we going to do? We, we've been looking for Messiah for all the... You're telling me the guy from Nazareth was, was Messiah? Yes. And, and before they can implode, Peter said, wait a minute. He left you a way to fix this problem. That's why it says in Acts 2 and verse 38, repent, die, and be baptized, every one of you, buried. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's resurrection. The, the, God, the saving gospel message is death, burial, and resurrection. Repentance, water baptism, infilling of the Holy Spirit. That's the saving gospel There is, as I showed you Sunday in Matthew chapter 4 and in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus taught something called the gospel of the kingdom. And when you study those verses in Matthew 4 and Matthew, what was the the ministry of Jesus? Nobody's being filled with the Holy Spirit while Jesus was here. He doesn't have some big tent revival and baptize thousands of people. What did Jesus do when he was here? He taught and he did miracles, healed sick people, dead people came back to life, deaf people could hear, blind people could see. I think you could probably have tracked Jesus through some cities. There's an empty wheelchair. There's a set of crutches nobody needs anymore. There's a walker on and on and on. There's a bed that somebody used to stay in forever. It's just his ministry was a ministry of deliverance and healing. Thus, there's gospel number two, the gospel of the kingdom. I don't have time to go into this into a lot deep, but in Corinthians chapter 11, Paul talked about there are people who preach another Jesus, another gospel, because they have another spirit. I'll just melt it down to its most basic elements. When you cannot be taught you got another spirit. You've obeyed another gospel. And that's three. You have the saving gospel. You have the gospel of the kingdom. You have what Paul called another gospel. But what we're going to talk about tonight is what we're going to call the forgotten gospel. I've never heard anybody teach this. I'm sure somebody probably has. But my wife and I have worked on this for a long time. There is something in the Bible known as the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace. We're not talking death, burial, and resurrection here. This is something else. Romans mentions it. Ephesians mentions it. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. Glad tidings of good things. And so, 
We have a history in this church of breaking barriers. Um, I'll give you a couple of them. Years ago, when Renee and I first came, we had a small group of white people. Um, It was wasps. Um, I'm talking white Anglo-Saxon Pentecostals, okay? Uh, uh, Trust me, it was as white as white can get. I wanted a multicultural church. There were people didn't like that. There were people that left. Okay. See, I don't, the Bible says in New Jerusalem, what most people call heaven, there's, there's not going to be an eight mile. Okay. There's not going to be no ghetto in the New Jerusalem. The Bible said somebody from every tribe, every tongue, every kindred, every culture, that that's a real church. That's a real church. Okay. And, we are in a very multicultural area. We're, 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 I don't want to say stupid because I know some of you parents are trying to teach your children. Don't say stupid. Um, my, my daughter, Ashley used to come home and said, Daddy, Brittany used the D word. And she used the S word, Daddy. So my mind went exactly to where yours just went. And then she said, Brittany said dumb. And Brittany said stupid. And so, I'm, I'll, I'm try, but if we don't understand the absolute necessity of having a multicultural church, uh, to me that that's just that's blindness. That that you talk about arrogance and racism. Ugh. We broke that barrier in this church. Thank God. Thank God. We broke that barrier in this church. And on any given Sunday, we'll have more than 40 different nationalities here. So that's good. We broke, we broke a barrier of prayer in this church. Um, it, it's never been mandatory. It never has. It's always been voluntary. But do you have any idea how miraculous it is to get people to come to church on Sunday and Monday? <clears throat> Now you're back here on Wednesday. That doesn't happen. Every week in this church, we have two services on Sunday. We have prayer on Monday night. I always, I kept using the word centurion. Bible talks about a Roman centurion. What that means is he had a hundred soldiers underneath him, a century, a hundred. I always, you know, to me, that was like the hot, that was as far as I could see. When we built this church years ago, I remember standing back there where the sound booth is now. I was in mud up to my ankles. These six beams were here. There was a little bit of the roof. Everything else was just mud, and we threw some hay in the mud so we could walk. It was, I remember standing back there, and a, if I was ever attacked, a voice that just said, how in the world are you ever going to pay for this thing? And you're never going to fill it up. Never. This was, it, it seats about 350 comfortably. We can get more chairs than that here. But you have to understand, we had, we had about 65 people back then. When you go to a seminary or a Bible college, they say if you build, build for twice what you have. So we should have built for 130. So for me at that time, to build for 350 to 375, this is like, Six times more than what we had. 
I thought that was way out there. But we're full now. And we're in multiple services. And I thank God for that. I just wish I would have built it to see the thousand. I couldn't see that far then. But this was as far as I could see. And, and, and so it was the same way with prayer. Boy, if we could just get 100 people. That would be the berries, dude. If you were here during this time, a lot of it had to do with the teams, with Pastor Mike and the others. It wasn't me. I threw that out there. I guess I, whatever. It, it didn't go 50, 60, 70, 80. It went from 55 to 120. Boom. Just like that. Pow. If you were here Monday night, you know. I mean, I had to be in, in Ohio. I, I, man, you had a great prayer meeting Monday night. And it's just prayer has become a permanent part of the culture of this church. We had two services on Sunday. We have prayer meeting on Monday. We have prayer meeting on Thursday. My wife has a prayer meeting every morning at 730. Women all over the country are on the phone with her every morning at 730. It's just people go, hey, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. We got enough of that. Nobody's saying that. It's just we... We played a major role in establishing what is known as the Detroit Metro District. I belong, it, this church doesn't belong, but as a minister, I belong to, to a minister's organization. And there was Michigan. Michigan was the district. So I played a role in stirring the pot and saying, Detroit ain't Michigan. <laughs> it's just... Uh, there just aren't any corn. Well, there maybe be a few cornfields in Detroit now, but um, it, there's a lot of asphalt. There, there, it's just it's just 60 miles a lot of times of just one neighborhood after another. Bam, bam, bam. Go go out to Albion, or, or go to Cadillac, or 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 go as we say in Michigan up north. This is a very unique place we got here, and so where there's more people, there's more spirits. There's also the potential for great growth when you have the epicenter. So I told people I felt like I was in a civil war with blue pants on and a gray shirt. There was bullets coming everywhere. But guess what? We played a major role in that. Last week, we kind of ran the table. I've been given, I didn't ask for it, but I was given a, a position on this board. Um. Talisha Gibbs has just been asked to oversee these women for our section. Kento and Bianca have been asked to oversee the young people. Tiffany and Stephen Rickard have been asked to oversee the children. It's like First Church is playing a major role. To, to, to Draylen and others with the music. It just, we, we broke, that never existed. And, and, and we, we did this thing called Imagine. Now, I know there's wealthier churches than this. However, I've been traveling for over 40 years, 45 years to be exact. To my knowledge, I could be mistaken, but to my knowledge, in the minister's organization that I'm a part of, we received the largest cash offering in the history of the United Pentecostal Church. $725,000 in cash last April. 
in one day, bam, was on that altar. That's, they told us, if you can get 300,000, take it and run. But when the day was over, we had $722,000 in cash. Ladies and gentlemen, I've never been a money preacher. And if you've been around me, you know that. However, the Bible said, where your heart is, that's where your treasure is going to be. And it's obvious the heart of these people are in the kingdom and in the work of God. That's a huge barrier. Carrie Vandewater has a prayer meeting on Thursday evening. It's, it's wonderful what goes on there. Carrie Vandewater went downtown. Is she here? She's probably here. She went downtown, I don't know how many years ago, to start working with kids that were in trouble, abused kids. They gave us carte blanche in those youth centers. No other church got to go. Carrie and her team went. Over 150 of those young people were filled with the Holy Ghost. And it, it, it was amazing. And then COVID hits and they shut us all down and won't let us in. So Sister Vanderwater said, Brother Hoppen, is it okay if we still go? And I said, what are you going to do? She said, well, let's start with first praise. So we had a daughter work downtown, which interestingly enough, first praise is full now. The building's full. Brother and Sister Pittman, have, God is blessed and favored. But we have women that every Sunday in the second service, halfway, they up and leave here. Would they get mad? No. They've already been in church. Many of them come for the first service and half of the second service and then drive downtown to go to another service. It's all day in church. But, but, but because of that, <laughs> I wish I had time to tell you the stories. This live stream thing. We have dozens and dozens of churches that want every, I was just did a thing three weeks ago. I had over 200 people come to me and say, we never miss. We never miss. We watch this thing every week. I don't know how many pastors, how many churches, how many saints watch this thing regularly. It's a big deal. Now, I want to break another barrier. I want to break another barrier. A barrier that exists in every church that I have ever, ever been to. Every church I have ever visited has this barrier. The tension between the generations. The tension between established elders and the next generation that's coming on. I want to use this church as a laboratory. I, it would stun you how many churches view this church every week? What's First Church doing? What are they? We just had a thing with Pastor Mike. One of the largest churches in the country went with him, and he compared his administrative with with theirs. And he and he called me. And said, "You wouldn't believe it, Brother Hoffman." He said, "We are we are perfectly positioned for where we need to go next." And. and I want to help. I, I can't tell you. I, I have to be in Los Angeles Friday. And, and I, I, I travel a lot. I can't tell you how many pastors are pulling their hair out. Saying, what in the name of God do you do to, to, to please both of these parties? 
you've got the elders that are saying, hey, I don't like this new way of doing things. And you've got the young people that are saying, I don't care if you like it or not. We're going to do it whether you like it or not. And, and it's just, it's confusion. And the Bible said the Lord's not the author of confusion. And, and, and I, how, how, here's what Renee and I have just prayed about and talked about. How, and it's not like we got a lot of that going on here. But you said, are you going to fix the generational gap? I don't know about that. That's pretty optimistic because that's always been, there's always going I was in the Louisiana camp meeting several years ago and I, uh, I wish we could have had him here to speak. We had him scheduled, but he wasn't able to come. His name was Tom Fred Tenney. He was, he was amazing. But there was an old gentleman at the Louisiana camp. This is the largest camp meeting in America. And, and, and I was there to speak and this gentleman got up and he was talking about them good old days. And Brother Tenney was right be, beside him. He had his high voice. He said, Brother, Brother Harold. He said, I was in them good old days. And them good old days weren't always that good. And he said, I'm more excited about the kingdom right now than I've ever been in my life. And I always loved that about this old man who just lived in tomorrow. And, 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 and it's just, when, when we were, considering and starting to lay the groundwork for the Detroit Metro District. One of the leaders of the Michigan District confronted me and he was very, very angry. And he said, why, why, why are you doing this? And I said, don't you understand that in every other state where the metro areas have divided to be a separate district. It's been adversarial. And he said, that's my point exactly. And I said, brother, you're missing the point. And he said, here you go, Harold, talking in riddles all over again. What are you talking? I said, don't you get it? We have the chance to lead a national debate in Michigan. Why can't we do it in such a way that the other districts who in the future are going to, because I said the day is coming when every large metro area in America will be a district of their own. When I said that, I thought he was going to choke me to death. And he said this, under, over my dead body. I said, don't you, don't you get it? We have a chance to do something in Michigan so that in the future, other districts can say, Let's do it like they did in Michigan. They did it with brotherhood. They did it with peace. They did it and it was great. It wasn't like all them other people fighting like kids in a schoolyard. And he said, never. Okay. I think we have an opportunity in this church to lead a national debate. I, I, I think we can look at it so that in the future, other churches can say, how in the world did you do this? How in the world did you get those people who have miles between themselves in age? And how did, how did you see? I belong to something called the United Pentecostal Church. And if you know what the United Pentecostal Church is, this is their motto. The whole gospel to the whole world. So my deal is, okay, how about let's preach the whole gospel? Not just the salvation gospel. 
How about let's also preach the gospel of the kingdom, which will heal the lost. And how about let's preach the gospel of peace, which will heal the church. That's the whole gospel to me. The whole, not just baptism in Jesus' name, not just speaking in tongues. How many people, I just wonder how many people in this room just right now, every week it's crazy, but how many people are in this room right now that need a healing touch in their body right now? I promise you there are people in this room right now in serious trouble. Baptism, they need more than baptism in Jesus' name. They need a healing touch. The Bible said, by his stripes, we are healed. When, forget Facebook. Jesus didn't have Facebook. Paul didn't have Facebook. They did a pretty good job. You start getting people healed in the church, you don't need Facebook. Or it'll go. It's just word of mouth. That's a real church. Oh, did you hear Brother Hobbin preach? Forget that. Hey, they had people with cancer healed in that church. They they had people who were on the way to divorce court fell in love again. I heard about kids that hated their mom and dad. Now they respect their mom and dad. Wow, that's a miracle. You ever dealt with Mormons? I spent a lot of time with Mormons in the past. They have something called Mormon doctrine. Let me explain something to you. There is no such thing as Mormon doctrine. Mormons believe in something called progressive revelation, which means everything that comes out of their president, and their president is always over 90 years old. Everything that comes out of his mouth, they write down and they add it to what's known as doctrines and covenants. So if you're a good Mormon, you've got to have the Book of Mormon, Pearl of Great Price, and a book called Doctrines and Covenants. And the Bible is only proper as interpreted by these three books. I'm telling you, you got these 92 and 93-year-old guys. They're drooling cream of wheat out of the side of their mouth. And I'm trying to be respectful, but whatever. I have a paper from one of the Mormon presidents who said there was 18 gods. I had Mormons come to my house. And I, 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 I met one of, the, the, one of Joseph Smith's great-great-great-grandsons. I, I don't want to get too distracted here right now, but... I, I brought this book out that he, and they're sitting on my couch. I said, have you ever seen this book? And this guy's face turns white. And he said, yeah, I've seen that book. I know what that is. I said, you believe that everything that come out of your president's mouth is the word of God, right? Yes, sir, we do. So I opened it up. I said, your president said there was 18 gods. Yes or no? And he just, all of a sudden, if you've ever been with Mormons, there's an elder and there's a younger one. The younger one said, you know, I never did buy into all this. And the elder said, I testify that Joseph Smith is a true prophet of God. And the young Mormon in my living room said, oh, sit down and shut up. You just told me last night in the apartment. You don't believe half this stuff. He grabs him and takes him out of my house. I went the next day to their apartment to find him. They had already sent the young guy back. But Mormons... They're influential, and they got billions and billions and billions of dollars and lots and lots of adherents. How do they sell people in Mormonism? They have family night. It's usually on Thursday. Everyone in the family is, is, is encouraged to learn how to play an instrument. They play board games. They play songs together. See, ladies and gentlemen, if you can fix somebody's family, it don't matter how many gods you believe. 
they're going to they're going to give you their money and they're going to come to your church because you fix their family. You want people to get baptized in Jesus name? How about let's believe for the gospel of the kingdom? Heal the sick. People can hear. People can see. Legitimate. See, too many things go on in church that can be explained. I've said for you, I want stuff to go on in this church that nobody can explain. That people just have to stand back and go, I don't know. All I know is I was sick and I'm not sick anymore. All I know is I was full of bitterness and I, I, I've got forgiveness and love. It's just, <laughs> that's a, they'll get baptized. They'll come to your church. They'll help us build a new church. Oh, sure. Why? Because this, this is critical, ladies. That's the whole gospel. Listen, here's 1 Peter 5 and 5. This is, this is the ideal. Here's how we fix this problem. Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. And every elder's going, amen. <laughs> Yay, all of you. Oh, that's talking about all them young people. No, 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 no. It's talking about everybody. All of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. For years, for years, I, I've taught you. Every, every, every Christian man I have ever met knows this verse. Wise, be in submission unto your husband as unto the Lord. You got that? I'm the boss, you're the applesauce. Every man knows that verse. However, three verses later, it says this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So you tell me how much Jesus gave for the church. He died for it. I know this is simple. That's the secret to a successful marriage. I've never, I've never met a woman unwilling to submit to a man that she knows will sacrifice everything for her. You see the symbiosis in it? It's not you do this and then I'll do that. No, it doesn't work that way. It's like you submit, I'll sacrifice. It's the same thing with this. Elders, young people, all you young people. Respect your elders. Oh, but all you elders, how about let's be subject one to the other? Ah, uh, you see the symbiosis where both parties benefit? It's yes, young people have to appreciate and respect elders. And elders have to be encouragers to the young people. That's the ideal. That's where we're going. That's what we're after. So, how do we accomplish this? This is what it says in Ephesians 4 in the New International Version. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. You ever read about David and Solomon? David wanted to build a church. He said this, I'm living in a house of cedar. Cedar, even today, is really, really nice wood. 
cedar closets, cedar cabinet. It's just no bugs, smells good. David said, I'm living in a house of cedar and my God has got a house with old skins. That tabernacle of Moses was worn out, man. And he said, I'm going to build my God a church house. And the Lord said, "Mm -mm. I'm not going to let you build no church house. I'll let your boy build it. I'll let you save up the wood and the stone and the gold and the silver. You're not going to be the general contractor for the church house, David. Why? We need Solomon. Does anybody here know what know what the name Solomon means? Someone said it. Man of peace. You can't build a church unless you have peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. You want the blessing of God on your life? Peace doesn't just happen. You got to make it. You have to synthesize it. You got to get the saw, the hammer, the the, the nails, the screws. The you, it's it's work to make peace. But there's a blessing of God. As fact, if we'll be peacemakers, the Bible said, God will say, "That's my kids. Those are the children of God." My wife taught me something recently. I wanted to show it to you. God. How do I say this? It is possible to get emotionally stuck. If you didn't know how old you are, how old would you be? I've met 70-year-old juveniles emotionally. I'm serious, man. They're just, they're just spoiled, rotten brats. And I've met 20-year-old octogenarians. I've met 20-year-olds that act like they've had the wisdom of 80 years old. Your age is not a true indication of the level of your maturity. Listen to what Renee is going to teach you right now about your brain. And it's the same way with our spirituality. Just because you've been in church for 60 years, I got the Holy Ghost when I was um, five. I'm 61, so how long has that been? <laughs> More than 50 years that I've had the Holy Ghost. How mature am I in Christ? What is my age in Christ Jesus? Is it, is it the years that I've been in church? Or is it how much have I grown spiritually? So um, I want to I read this. And this is, um, this is in the message, and it says, Keep a cool head, stay alert. The devil is poised to pounce and would like nothing better than to catch you napping. Keep your guard up. You're not the only one plunged into these hard times. It's the same with Christians all over the world. So keep a firm grip on the faith. The suffering won't last forever. It won't be long before this generous God who has great plans for you, for us in Christ, uh, eternal and glorious plans they are. We have you put together and on your feet for good. He gets the last word. Yes, he does. We will have you. <laughs> okay, eternal glorious plans they are. We'll have you and put you together on your feet for good. 
He gets the last word. Yes, he does. This is 1 Peter 5. Um, Being sober-minded is not being swept up in our emotions or trauma or triggers, our own coping mechanisms and addictions. And I want to talk about this. uh, I've been studying this a lot. I've been reading um, a book called Social Intelligence. Um, I'm reading books on how to have conversations. um, Because part of our problem with generational gaps is that we don't talk to one another. It's the same thing with the political divide. It's the same thing with uh, racism. We don't mix and talk about difficult subjects. <laughs> we just say, ah, they're never going to change their mind. I can't, I can't mess with it. I'm not going to fool with it. And we stonewall one another. But if we'd sit down and have conversations, I think we could heal a lot of things. So the limbic symptom... Let me interrupt you. My wife and I were at a restaurant before we went to Ohio. I'm tired. And I, I just, I just want to eat. I got a long drive ahead of me. And, and I, I, I just... This one is talking to the whole restaurant. <laughs> and it's like, oh, Renee, not now. Okay, let's just eat and get in the car and go. She's ta- All of a sudden, she zeroes in on this giant black man. This dude's huge. He looks ferocious. And she just starts talking, 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 and he's looking at her, and I'm thinking, this guy could eat me for lunch. <laughs> and, and, she, and then she said, oh, I'm sorry. She said, uh, my husband and I, we pastor a church, and she said, we, I just like talking to everybody. And this guy said, I'm a pastor too. And he said, keep talking. I'm really enjoying listening to you. And all of a sudden, we meet this guy. He just starting a church in Mount Clemens and just went on and on. And we, he, he gave me his number. I texted him. He texted me immediately back. He said, I'd really like to be friends, Pastor Hoffman. And it was just like, you look at him and go, this guy looks like a fullback for the Lions. He could, he, he's like an MMA fight. He could, he could, she just starts talking. All that disappears. And I felt like a, a shlemiel. I, I, I felt like, it was like, gee whiz. Here's, here was this magnificent opportunity that I walked and I didn't see it. She did. Just, let's talk. Yeah. It's like uh, we went to Bob Evans the other day and I um, can't remember where we were at. Jackson. Yeah. And um, we sat down. We were, uh, I can't remember why we went to Jackson. Anyway, this family, here we are sitting all nice and cozy just by ourselves having a little date. And in comes a huge family. (laughs) And the grandma walks by and she said, oh, ma'am, I'm so sorry. And this little one, boy, you just, and um, I said, well, I'll tell you, your family looks like our church. (laughs) And I said, it was a beautiful mixed family and the children were gorgeous. And we just started talking and, and uh, making over them and making them feel welcome in our space. And, and she teared up. And she said, after we were, we were ready to go, she said, I just want to thank you. This was my birthday. And I, I just, my heart sunk when I saw you all 
where we were going to impose upon you. And, and thank you for making my birthday dinner a, a great dinner. Yeah. This is what it takes, guys, to, to bridge that gap. We want to we build a bridge. We don't want to br- build a ditch. And we want to think optimistically. Or a wall. Yeah. It's like when you smile, half the smile is for yourself because it lifts your spirit, and half the smile is for somebody else. And if we have that in mind and approach people with that spirit, they're going to catch the spirit. If you start studying about this in uh, behavioral science and how people catch your spirit, you will be amazed. It really does matter how you approach people, how open you are, how friendly you are, how kind you are. Just showing a child kindness. I remember as a little kid how much it meant to me for an adult to smile at me or take notice of me. Not in a baby way, but just really value me and have a conversation with me. It's amazing what that will do to an adult also and open up their spirit to you. And this is what I'm talking about, opening up our spirit of kindness. And one thing that I feel that this church has, uh, that Pastor and I have, is kindness. We value that in this church. And when Brother Bernard came, our superintendent came to this church, and he said, I feel like this church has your spirit. I believe it's a spirit of kindness and acceptance. And so this is what's going to happen also generationally. Yes. We're going to support and love one another. So the limbic system where emotions are stored, and Matthew's got it up there, um, to the pre, so where our emotions are stored to the prefrontal cortex, where you're kind of in control and making decisions, that's a six-lane highway. So, so you're saying the, the, the limbic system, that's the emotional part of the brain. That's the emotional part of the brain. So the prefrontal cortex, that's the rational part. That's the rational part. And so when we get upset or excited or flustered or whatever, all those emotions are like a six-way, six-lane highway to our reasoning, and it floods our reasoning. Have you ever, as a wife, Harold does this all the time to me, Whoa, stop, you're flooding me. <laughs> Especially if I'm, if, I, if I'm upset or, uh, you know, upset or with preaching him or, to me. Yes, or preaching yes. or, or crying. You know, I'm just too excited. Whoa, you're flooding me. That's what you do. That's what happens when your brain gets flooded with emotion. It, it, it's a six-lane highway that goes right to, and it interrupts your thinking. You don't think straight. You're thinking emotionally. And this is what happens when you have an argument or you have a disagreement with somebody. You get flooded. And then if you start really focusing on it and you don't give it time to pause, it'll just get bigger and bigger and bigger and you, and you, won't, think, you won't think rationally. So, but when you try to take that emotion away and you try to take reason and go from here to your emotional part of your brain, it's like a one-lane country road. <laughs> it takes a while to cool down. How many guys know that when you're upset? 
and women too. When we get upset with our, our kids and we're like, okay, slow down, slow down, slow down. Take it easy. Don't get upset with So what them. happens if you don't process that properly? What happens is it gets stuck. It gets stuck in your long-term memory. It gets stored. And so you, you're saying that becomes real. That even becomes a, your reality. The emotion becomes real. The emotion real. becomes reality. Not the logic of what really happened. So you think back on different things that happened to you in your childhood. Traumatic things. Do you think of it as logically or do you have emotion attached to that, that happening? Right? Do you really know what happened in your child? I mean, do you really know? It's like, um, I'll give you an example. When um, I was young, um, probably 14, my dad went into, um, he, he, he uh, resigned the church and he went into missions. Uh, he was a missionary supervisor for Asia and the South Pacific. And our family stayed because we were in that transition period. And another pastor so came. So you stayed in the church that he used yeah, to be the pastor. Stayed, yeah, we stayed there until we could transition. But during that time, all the kids turned on me, all my friends. You weren't the pastor's daughter anymore. I didn't have positional importance anymore. I didn't have protection of my mom and dad. I, I was no longer special. I was just Renee. And all the jealousies and all these hidden things, I felt they attacked me. I don't know how I, I don't have, unless I went back and asked one of my friends at that time in that church, I don't have good memories of that church because of it. I can't really reason what really happened, right? I don't know how I was. Maybe I was a brat and deserved all of it. Maybe they were just getting back at me and no longer had that positional authority and that protection anymore. I don't know. All I know is the emotion I had with it. That's my truth. But if you ask another one, they might have another uh, slant on the truth. See what I'm saying? So when we don't deal with our emotions right away, in other words, if I would have, instead of taking it and feeling sorry and pouting and, and running away from the friends, I, I didn't deal with it. I didn't confront them. I just backed away and went into books and, and protected myself. So I don't really have a logical memory or a reasonable memory of what really happened because I didn't have conversation. I didn't talk it out. I didn't process it. Remember that thing you said to me about if you don't, is it act on? Yeah, let's see. Where, let's see. Try to remember how you told me that. Uh, let me see. if I've got it written down here. Let me see. When we don't. If you don't act on, you don't. No, it's not. You will act out, something like yes, that. Yes, no. It's if you don't, um, if you don't deal with it. It's going to pop up. It's going to pop up. It's going to act out. It's in my notes, but sorry, okay. you skipped ahead, and I don't know where that is in my notes. Sorry. <laughs> I'm trying to flood you right now. 
It's uh, yeah. <laughs> when, when he you, you all know that this is not me. You know, I, I, I like, I like one-on-ones and Bible studies. And when he said, let's do this together, it's like, okay, <laughs> here we go. So I'm a note. He's a, I can, now when we do Zoom prayer, guys, don't I just go, I, I just am going crazy. Oh, yes. Every morning. He hears it. But I'm a little flooded now. Okay, so emotions are emotion. Our emotional energy in motion. Where is this motion, where is emotion going to? We need to learn how to act rather than react or respond versus reacting. If it's hysterical or dramatized, it's historical. I just told you that story. Even when I talk about that years later, okay, I'm 61 years old, guys. And when I look back at that memory, I tear up. I get emotional. It's a bad memory. I have a strong emotion that is attached to that memory. So usually when it's dramatized, when there's a lot of emotion that comes with that, it's historical. We want to be committed to what is real and true. But that reality uh, costs something. It's like the rich young ruler when he said, what, what, you know, what more can I do? And the Lord said, well, go and sell all that you have. And he counted the cost. He's like, mm, that's too that's costly. Too much. It, it costs too much. When we consider the cost of facing the difficulties, um, we might say it costs too much. Or they don't want it, they, they don't want what I have. I'm afraid of being rejected. They might mock me. It's too hard. It'll cost you as a young person to legitimately understand and talk to an elder. It'll cost you something as an elder to just. I have a friend named Mark Hadiball, which some of you know. I had another friend by the name of Benny DeMerchant. He was a missionary in Brazil. Benny DeMerchant had a son that was like cloned, the exact opposite, or the identical to his dad. And everybody was so excited because Benny was getting older. And they knew that when Benny retired, this boy was going to take over the ministry in Brazil. Brazil's float planes, it's Amazon, there's no roads there. They get to where they go with a plane. Benny's boy tried to land in a storm. The, flipped up, the plane flipped over and he drowned. He couldn't get out of the plane in time. Mark Hadaball's dad lost his way. And the family fractured and he was devastated. Mark Hadaball, as a teenager, went to Benny DeMerchant and said... You need a boy, and I need a dad. How about let's trade? And it created one of the most powerful unions. I mean, you talk about it. people saw them too. You talk about yin and yang, massive age difference, concept different. But Benny DeMerchant and Mark Hadaball became powerful weapons on the missionary field because of a kid that said. I need an elder in my life. And an elder that said, I'm going to love this kid. 
And I wonder how many unions can be crafted and created in this church of people that would just take the time to say, I need you. Do you need me? When I, it's like me teach, um, I'm a pastor's wife, but I volunteer in the, in the toddler nursery. Why? It's not because they need me as a teacher. It, you know why? I'm not good with names. I want to know the kids. <laughs> I, and then there's so many of them that I can't keep up. And so by me volunteering in the toddler nursing and nursery and teaching, I get to know their names. And not only that, but I get to know their little personalities. And I'm telling you, those little personalities stay the same. It's so, it's so wonderful when you have that connection. Or when you sit down and take the time to talk to a teenager. And yeah, their, their, their language and their interest might be, but you can always find something. If you really listen and, and make it about them, you really can find something that you have in common or some kind of something that's interesting. In other words, find something that you're really interested. I love to hear people's stories. I love to find about, out who they are. Listen. And not just a pretend listen. They'll pick up on that bow. Yeah. When you're fake, it'll show. Boy, it will. Be genuine and really try like a treasure. Find something interesting about that person. And it has to be genuine. It has. Are we it's done? Enough. It's enough for us tonight. We can flood you. Yes, he's being flooded. In these coming weeks, we're going to bring young people up here. And we're going to bring elders up here. And I want you to see what's going on. We got a lady here in the front row. She's a dude. Esther Spicer is a dude. Okay? I'm telling you. But you see this response? These kids love Esther. I'm, I, I'm not going to ask you, but I think she's north of 40. Okay? But these kids, I, I, we got a guy here. I call him Ornery Neto. But his real name is Honorato, which means you honor him. You come here on Sunday and right over there will be Honorato Neto with his hands up. And he just... And I said, Mike, I love being in worship service with your dad. He, I, I, he, I'll listen to him. <laughs> Draylon sings this song. Just get, you know, I want Jesus, you know. And uh, where, where's Draylon? You in here? How, how's that one part of that thing go? Yeah. The, the, oh, how's that go? Huh? I'm trying to remember. I got so many different things flying through my brain right now. What? There we go. You ought to come up here and listen to Honorato do that. Oh, and I said, Mike, your dad loves this stuff. He said, no, he don't. He, he really, but he said, he's not going to get stuck and he's not going to be full of, you know, and just, he said, he doesn't understand half these songs. But he's going to come up here and go, oh, 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 and he's clapping and worshiping. And I, I love that. <laughs> I love that. Man. I think about Betty Saylor out in the front. That's our oldest saint. Get around her. She's infectious. 
She really, you're not going to hear negative stuff from Benny Sainer. And it's just, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You ministered to everybody while you were on this earth. They brought, the Bible said they brought the whole city to you. And I'm sure there was, there was black hair and blonde hair and red hair and no hair. And there were young people and there were elders and there were beds and crutches and canes. You didn't, you just ministered to everybody. We've tried to be a multicultural church. We want to be a multi-generational church. We don't want to just brag about how many cultures are here, how many different languages can be spoken here, how many colors of skin are here. We want there to be, we, we call ourselves oneness Pentecostals. We want to be oneness in more than just doctrine. We want there to be a harmony and a unity among us. Because we're trying to build something here, not just spiritually, but we're, we've got a very ambitious physical product and project that we're, we're planning right now. And I know the enemy does not intend to take that sitting down. So we're going to have to be vigilant. We're going to have to be aware. And AA did not come up with the word sobriety. Your word says, be sober, be vigilant, because that adversary is looking for a way in. I'm asking you, Lord, I'm an elder now. My hair's gray. I got bifocals on my glasses. My knees don't work like they used to. But I refuse to be a guy that gets stuck, Lord. I want to be open. I want to be an encourager. I want to be someone that kids feel comfortable around. I want to do my best to be an example. I ask you, Lord, to help us in these next couple weeks. We have a very, there's not much of this going on. But boy, I've been in places around this country, Lord, where it is an absolute plague. And I, I, oh, Jesus, I'm asking you to help us in this church to be able to craft and create, to be an example and a billboard and a marquee. And people say, that don't go on here. That don't go here. Gossip don't go on here. We don't tear people down here. We're just going to love people regardless of their color, regardless of their age, regardless of their culture. I'm asking you, God, amen, that we have the young that will love them elders, and we have elders that will be encouragers to the young. This is not going to be a gospel that remains forgotten in this church. We're going to preach the gospel of peace. And we're going to share good tidings of glad things. I serve a God who only does wonderful things. In Jesus' name we pray. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus.